Good morning, beloved Orangewood. Isn't it great worshiping our great God together this morning? Let me ask you, anybody started building an ark yet? I mean, whoa, have we had some rain, huh? Uh, it's incredible. They call this the Sunshine State. Um, haven't seen that in a while, but hey, I probably, like you, my grass is greener than ever. So uh, I guess there's one benefit of all this incredible rain. If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me uh, to 2 Peter 3. We've used that passage as a springboard into some other passages because what we're doing is we're looking at this glorious goal of God's. What is God's glorious goal? Because you know what's interesting? Because we're made in his image. When we find God's glorious goal, guess what? We, we find our goal. Uh, when we find God's plan, well, we find our plan. When we find God's motivation, well, we, we find our motivation. So we're going to start off in 2 Peter 3, just in verse 18, and We'll springboard into uh, the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 22, and look at what is famously known as the Great Commandment. And so, uh, uh, of all God's commandments, I guess one that is set aside as the Great One, we got to make sure we bore into that and understand what does that mean for us. Woody Allen said that 80% of life is showing up. 80% of life is just showing up. And I, I'm not sure where he was going with that. Uh, don't know if you agree with that or not. But 80% of, of life is just being there. Well, interestingly to God, it's not just showing up. God tells us in his word and reveals it over and over again that our motivation for showing up is very important. Our motivation for being, our, our motivation for living, our motivation for being even here this morning matters to God. Motivation, probably a word that you know, uh, probably a word that doesn't need to be defined, but if you looked it up, it would say this, giving of reason to act. What is your motivation for living? What is giving you reason to act? To live, to move. What's your motivation for being? What, what, what's your motivation that got you out of bed even this morning? Because our motivation does matter. It's the why. The motivation is the why of, of what we do uh, in life. And the why is as important as the what. And the why is as important of the how. I know it sounds crazy. Track with me for the minute. Do you know that God cares as much about the why we do things as what we actually do? Can you believe that? You think God cares as much about your motivation as he does your actions? Or how you go about doing them? He does. I know it, it startles me every time I think about that. When I think about God really cares not just about what I do, but why I do it. I kind of think, wow. But then I'm always reminded of the Pharisees. The Pharisees in the Bible were the really religious professionals, the people who, who tithed all, everything they had, who said the longest prayers, who never missed a worship service. I mean, what they did was really good as far as religion goes. But the why they did it was awful. It was horrible. They, they did it for themselves. They did it for the praise of men. God says that, that their lips would honor God, but their hearts were far from God. And so Jesus, he, he called them names. He called them whitewashed tombs. He called them dead bones. Because the why matters to God. The why matters to God as much as the what or even the how. We spent the last few weeks uh, looking at God's 
glorious plan for the earth, God's glorious plan for, for us. And, and that's kind of the what. What is the plan? And according to God's word and how he's revealed himself, the God's glorious plan is to fill the earth, to fill you and the entire earth with his glory. And again, one of those words you probably say, yeah, if you've been around Christianity, the glory of God, yes, we're to fill the earth with his glory. But what does that actually mean? It means this, is that, that we are called to make visible all of the beauty of God. We are called to, to take his character and have it be seen so God can be praised. That's the what. If you ever want to know what your goal in life is, well, according to God is to give your life to the glory of God. So the next question is, well, how? Last week we looked at the how. If the, if the what is fill the earth with his glory, the, the how is that we're it. We're his glorious plan. He has something called this great commission where he has told us that, that we are to make disciples of all nations, that we are to teach people about the triune God and even baptize them and, and make them followers of Christ. And last week we said, well, how do we do that? It's kind of like show and tell. Do you remember last week? We tell God's story by showing God's grace. We tell God's story by showing the fact that God loves sinners like you and me. Isn't that such good news? An incredible thing is that God chooses to use you and me to accomplish his plan. So it's this show and tell where, where we have the privilege of telling by showing God's grace. We also have the privilege of telling by growing. Growing in our love and knowledge of Jesus as, as Lord and Savior. Well, we've looked at the what, fill the earth with his glory. We've looked at the how, it's the great commission that God chose you and me to be his ambassadors to, to tell the story of Jesus. And now this week we're going to look at the why. And the motivation is as important as anything else. And the why, why do we want to fill the earth with God's glory? Why do we go? Why do we tell his story? Well, the why is love. It's love. It's God's love for us and our love for God. God's word says the greatest commandment is this. You ready? Of all the things God wants you to do, everything's summed up right here. And maybe you've not, you're new to the Bible. Maybe you've been around it for your whole life. But God says, let me sum it up for you. Love. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Love the Lord your God with all of your soul. Love the Lord your God with all of your strength. And love the Lord your God with all of your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. If you do those things, well, you've, you've completed the entire law of Christ Jesus. You see, we're going to see in this passage today, and we're going to see throughout Scripture, that love is both the incentive, why we do what we do, and it's also the goal. Isn't that kind of cool? I mean, it's both the incentive of why we act, why we get up, why we live, but it's also the goal. The goal is that we and, and others, uh, all of God's creation, will, will love Him and love one another with everything that we have. So let's look to God's word. Again, we'll start in 2 Peter 3.18 and springboard from there to the great commandment of Matthew 22, looking at verses 35 and 40. Let's be mindful this is God's word, whether we're in the end, we're in the Gospels, we're in the Pentateuch, we're in the poets, wherever we find ourselves, God has breathed his being into this. It'll never lead us astray in the originals without error. And it's for you. It's for me. The incredible thing about our God is he wants to talk to you this morning. And the clearest way he does that is through his word. So let us hear. 
2 Peter 3, verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Why? To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And then we'll turn to the Gospel of Matthew. It's, this passage is in all of uh, uh, the Gospels, all, all of uh, um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Not in John, but certainly reflected there. Let's hear Matthew 22. I'll pick up in verse 35. And at one of them, a lawyer asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. The Gospel of Mark and Luke will add, and with all your strength. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Of these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for your infinite wisdom that gives to us in your word this incredible little story. The story of someone who stood up not to worship you, stood up not to, to bow down to you, but stood up to challenge you, Jesus. He stood up to try to expose you as a fraud. And yet you answered as God Almighty. And God, when you were asked, Jesus, of the greatest commandment, we thank you that you've pointed us to love. And that the entire prophets and the law can all be summed up, that all the Bible hinges on this great commandment that we're to love you with everything we have and love our neighbors as ourselves. And to God, the only way we can do that is if we've experienced your love for us that way. If you've loved us with such passion that has made us new. So God, one thing I know for sure that everyone here this morning needs to love you more. Everyone here this morning has to understand of how you love us first. And God, everyone here this morning has to understand the, the why, the why it is that you've called us to live. Our motivation for living is summed up in a four-letter word called love. The love of God and his glory. So God, give us ears to hear your loving voice. Give us minds to understand your loving word. And, and God, we ask that you give us hearts that, that would embrace your loving character. And that, God, you would give us feet to walk in a manner worthy of your loving name. And the things that I say that are wrong or just my opinion, may those things be forgotten and fall away quickly. But the things that are said that are true and contain the, the loving good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, would you use those things to make us love you more, to make us love our neighbor more, so that we can bring you more glory, both now and to the day of eternity. And we pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. If you want to follow along in your bulletin, there's an outline for you. We have two points Love is the incentive and love is the goal. I'll fill those in quickly uh, if you would like. 
The first one is this. Love is the incentive. John Piper, one of my favorite preachers. Have you ever heard John Piper preach? Have you ever heard John Piper pray? Uh, just hearing that man pray makes me worship God. He's a, uh, he's a Reformed Baptist preacher in Minnesota. He's also an author. Uh, written several great books, Desiring God. I recommend it highly. Uh, one of my favorites on missions is Let the Nations Be Glad. In his book, Piper's book, Let the Nations Be Glad, he, he has this really pithy saying I'd like for you to hear and understand. He says this. He says, worship is the fuel and the goal of missions. He says that missions exist because worship does not. He's realizing that God has created us in his image and he's created us to worship him. That's the highest thing that you and I could do. The greatest thing we will do in life is doing that which God has created us to do. And it is to worship him, to love him, to serve him. And he says everything the church does except for worship will fade away one day. And the reason we do discipleship, the reason we do community groups, the reason we do Sunday series, the reason we do missions, the reason we do an Armenia movie, it's all for the glory of God, all for worshiping our great God. You see, those things exist because worship does not. That's the goal in all the things we do is to manifest God's glory, making visible the awesomeness of God. I would agree with Piper. I'm off. I don't like disagreeing with him. I think he's usually right, but fallible. But I agree that worship is the fuel and goal of missions. But I will say this. Scripturally, I believe that love is the fuel and goal of worship. Did you hear that? Love is the fuel and the goal of worship. And all we do, you see, love is the incentive. Well, I've often said that what God requires of us, God provides for us. And God also demonstrates to us. And if love is the incentive, if God cares as much about the why we do what we do, and he wants the why to be shaped in the love that we have for him and his love he has for us, we need to first look at the fact that love is God's incentive. The incentive for God to do all things that he's done. The incentive for God to, to speak and create everything that exists. The reason that God is holding all things together. The reason that God is, is a loving, merciful God who, who has sent his son to redeem us. It's all because of love. That's the incentive. Why does God do what he does? Well, because God is love. Because God will always act out of love. Let's look at the most famous passage. Jack quoted it this morning. I bet you know it. John 3.16. What does John 3.16 tell us? Well, tell us the why. It will tell us the motivation. For God so loved the world. You see, he acted because of love. It was that the motivation was love. For God so loved the world that he gave. What he did was propelled by how he loved. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And it actually will even say more than that. Not just to give us life, but to give us forgiveness. To give us newness of life. Not just to give us life, but to bring us out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
God so loved that he gave his son so that we could do that which we were created to do. Worship him. To know and love him. His incentive was love. I got to tell you, it's a crazy incentive. You know, it's easy for us to love that which is lovable, right? It's easier to love that which deserves or merits love. It's easy to love that which is cute, cuddly, and beautiful. But that's not who we are apart from God. The Bible makes very clear that on our own, we're filled with darkness. And how can a loving God love a depraved world? There's one of the greatest mysteries right there, folks. But Romans 5, 8 says this. This is the incentive of love. That that God demonstrates his own love for us. Ready for this? That while we're still sinners, God demonstrates love. That's the incentive. And he's going to do it by sending his son. And and when, while we're still sinners, he would send Christ Jesus to come and die for us. Here's, Here's the reality. God so loved the world and the world was yucky. It was broken. It was miserable. It was dark. And yet he so loved it. What an incentive for God. See, God loves, therefore he gave his incentive. And love should be our incentive too. I mean, love should be our motivation. Our motivation for responding to all the things that God has called us to do. One of my favorite verses, one of those verses I always come back to is 2 Corinthians 5.14. By the way, if you're on a desert island, I think it was one of the, if you could only have one chapter of scripture, this might be at 2 Corinthians 5. What an incredible chapter of scripture. But out of 2 Corinthians 5.14, it's going to tell us again about the why, the motivation. It says this, for the love of Christ compels us. The reason we do what we do, we are compelled, we are motivated, we are energized by the love of Christ. The Greek word there for compels, is, it's very interesting. It, it can be rightly con, uh, uh, translated controls. The love of Christ not only compels us, it controls us. It, it hems us in. And now it can be translated, it compels, it controls. It, it holds us together. So the love of Christ keeps us from flying off the rails. The love of Christ holds our lives together. And we know that, gosh, we have a hard enough time holding our our own lives together. The love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. This is what it's saying. God's love for you should be your incentive. Your incentive, your motivation for getting up is that God loves you. Listen, he loves you. He loves you enough to send his son for you. You may question God's love. You may question the fact that how can you, God, love something as unlovable as me? How can you continually love me because I continually wander? How can you continually show me grace and mercy because that's who our God is? And listen, the incentive of moving toward God is not trying to receive God's love. This is very important. We don't move toward God because we want to receive his love. We move toward God because we've already gotten it. Unbelievable. Because he loves us perfectly. He loves us eternally. And that is the incentive. The incentive for living should be the love that we have for God and and his love that he has for us. It's this mutual love affair. Oh my goodness. No matter what life brings, God loves me. No matter where I find myself, God loves me. No matter how dark it's getting, he's there with me. Do you know that love that passes even understanding? Do you know how many moments in your life you're going to be outside of God's love, Christian? 
Do you know how many moments in eternity you're going to be outside of God's love, Christian? There's not a nanosecond. You may say, well, I don't feel God's love and, and I don't see God's love and, and, and it doesn't, I, I can't really understand God's love. All you got to do is take your eyes and fix them on a cross and realize how much does God love you enough to send his son for you, enough to son become your sin, to die your death, be resurrected so that we can have life. So we'll never be separated from that love of the father. Never, ever. It's incredible that Jesus would hang on the cross and he'd cry out the words that you and I will never have to cry out, although we should. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So he'll never forsake us. It's incredible. You see, the incentive is love. That should be the incentive of our life. It should be the reason you wake up tomorrow. It should be the reason why you give. It should be the reason why you do. It should be the reason why you raise kids. It should be the reason why you work. It should be the the incentive for for shining for Christ Jesus. Not to earn anything because you received everything, right? Love. Your motivation matters to God as much as your actions. And love should be the foundation and hallmark of all you do. Because love is the foundation and hallmark of all that God does. Secondly, Love is the goal. Love is the goal. Well, why does God uh, initiate this kind of love? Why? Why? Well, the goal is, is that we would love him. The goal is, is this beautiful love affair of, of, that we're pulled in with our triune God. That we should love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbors as ourselves. I'm going to quickly go through this great commandment and just give you a couple of handles, a couple of things to think about what this means. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Let's call it your affections. What you set your heart upon. There's a song that my grandmother used to sing. I miss my grandma singing. My grandma singing has shaped so much of my life. I remember it in her uh, nursing home at the end of her life when she could remember very little she seemed to remember so many hymns. And there'd be hymn after hymn after hymn that she would sing. And one of the ones we would sing is, Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. There is room in my heart for thee. Nice song. A good song. I mean, it's, a, it's a sweet song. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. There is room in my heart for thee. And I love the fact that she's saying that, and I understand it, but really, theologically, that's not what this is saying. This isn't saying, God, you know what, I've examined my life, and there's a lot of things in here, but I'm going to clear out a closet of my heart. I'm going to clear out a hallway of my heart. I'm going to make room for you. God, there's room in my heart for you somewhere in there. We're going to find it together. This isn't about occupancy. This is about ownership. When he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, doesn't mean you're going to make a little room for Jesus. It's basically saying you're surrendering your affections and your heart to God. And you're saying, you are the king of my heart. You are the ruler of my affections. I am not making room for you. I'm giving you everything I have. That is giving the Lord your God your heart. That's really basically saying, Here's the hard stuff. It's loving your God more than you do your kids. 
It's loving the Lord your God more than you do your career. It's loving the Lord your God more than your comfort. It's loving the Lord your God more than your money. And it's more than your reputation. It's loving the Lord your God more than your workout or your body. It's loving the Lord your God with, with more than anything else. It's basically saying, I'm going to love the giver of all good gifts more than the gifts. And that's where my heart's going to be. And boy, do I fail there miserably. How about you? It's a great thing that God's love is so unconditional. Love the Lord your God with all your soul. If I'm saying heart is affections, I'm going to say soul is your will. It's your will. It's basically saying to God, thy will be done, not just on earth as it is in heaven. Let's make it specific for you. Thy will be done, the Lord's prayer, right? In my life. Thy will be done in my life as it is in heaven. (laughs) Thy will be done. Where do you want to send me? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? How how do you want me to live? Thy will be done. I surrender my will. I surrender my soul. It's yours. You purchased it with your blood, Jesus. It's yours. It's, It's two things that I like to say over the years. It's living in submission to Christ as king. Living in submission. You have a king. His name is Jesus. He reigns and rules over everything. We owe him all all things we have. And so now we live our lives in submission. Thy will be done. Not that a co-pilot next to me, not a, a, a counselor that helps just bring me comfort, not somebody who will just get me out of bad situations and go away, but this is a king who has every right to rule and reign every step of my life. Thy will be done. Living in submission to Christ as king and living on mission for Christ as king. The greatest goal of our lives is to be in alignment with him and, and to tell others of the grace of God in our lives by showing. It's being on mission for him as, as king. Loving God with all of our mind. What is loving God with all of our mind? Well, I'll, I'll say in one word, it's worldview. It's letting the word of Christ dwell richly in our minds and so we can obey the word of God, so we can defend the world of God. But really when worldview is this, it's, it's knowing God and his, his word to the point where we can see the world through the lens of the gospel. We can see the world through the lens of what God is doing. The whole point of this last three weeks is to give you a big picture of the Bible. It's to say that God's goal of the Bible is to fill the earth with his glory. So when you get up tomorrow morning, you can realize that the whole point of living is that God's creation will be filled with his glory. And then you not only know the goal, you know the plan. Well, it's for me to help make disciples and and to live my life as a, a tell by showing and a tell by growing. Well, not only that, it's the motivation for, for love. And so, uh, you know, with our minds, we see that the world through that lens. We got to put everything through it. The yucky stuff, too. I mean, God has told us that we live in a broken world. And, man, I know you're like me. How many more stories can we hear of brokenness and, and murder and just world that's seemingly just so lost and dark and it is but no remember what we've learned in God's word is God's plan will not fail his kingdom will come living with hope living with a worldview living with this worldview maybe I could sum it up this way for you Jesus is the hope of the world do you believe it Jesus is the hope of everything that's broken and wrong And his kingdom coming is really the hope of of, of God's shalom, God's peace coming in fullness. 
So loving God with all of your mind is loving God with, with walking by faith and believing his word. And loving God with all your strength. This is important. Loving God with all your strength is giving God the first fruits of your life. That's what uh, Matthew 6, says it this way. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. Loving God with all your strength means we give him our first fruits. I mean, everything. The first fruits of our, our earnings with a tithe. The first fruits of our, our energy. We give him the best of our day when we wake up and have our devotions with him. We give him our strength. That's loving him with all of our strength. And it seems to me that we often just give God the leftovers. If there's a little bit left for him, if there's a little bit of time left, if there's a little bit of convenience left, we'll give it to God. And loving God with all of our strength means, no, 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 we're seeking him first. We're going to give him the best that we have. Because he deserves it. And he's commanded it. But everything God requires of us, God provides for us. Remember, God gave us the best that he had. He gave us his only son. And he didn't give it to us just in part. He gave us in whole So that in Christ Jesus, we could be truly whole and holy. And now he says, I know your lives are busy. I know they're filled with activities. I know that your your calendars are overflowing with things. I know there's more to do than there is in time. But we don't let that squeeze God out. We let God squeeze out whatever he needs to squeeze out. And we seek him first with our strength. Let thy kingdom come. Let thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lastly, this thought of this great commandment, love our neighbors as ourselves. There's an easy one, isn't it? Isn't it easy just to love the person next to you as much as you do yourself? It's easy peasy stuff, man. Caring about them as much as you care about you. Especially when you're driving. Especially I-4. I mean, this is like... You know, just love your neighbors yourself because, you know, hey, their schedule's as important as yours and, and they're, they're right for that lane or whatever or, or your neighbor, you know, their, their, their lawn, their 401k, their kids, their marriage, uh, it's as important as yours. Love our neighbors as ourselves and I think of Philippians 2. Philippians 2, again, one of those passages that I go back to Starting in verse 3, he says this. Uh, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Nothing. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. That each of us should have the attitude of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he's going to empty himself. He's going to be found in the appearance of a man. And he's going to be found as the appearance, not just of a man, as a servant. As a servant, he's going to give everything he can give. And he, he lowered himself to that point where God is going to raise him up and give him the name that is above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And what an incredible picture. It starts off with do nothing out of selfish ambition and ends with Jesus is Lord. Why? Because our attitude should be like his. Everything that God requires of us, he provides for us. And he shows us this incredible example of how to love your neighbor as yourself. And that is to give up your rights, give to the other. And again, there's no way we could even come close to this apart from the grace of God. 
There's no way that we'll ever do this as Jesus has done. But that's our goal. I want you to think about this as, as uh, this comes to a close. Do you know why we sin? Well, there's a lot of reasons why we sin, but let me give you maybe a, a thought you haven't thought about. Do you know that we sin because we love something more than God? I mean, it's really, it's, it's, it's never a problem of love. We're always going to love something, but we, we love ourselves. Uh, we love our money. Uh, we love our reputation. We love our porn. Uh, we love our kids. We, we love our pet sins. Whatever it is, I mean, you're basically saying, I love that more than God at that moment. I mean, really, that's anything that we love above God is idolatry. Anything we love about, above God is a sin, I mean, that's when he says, listen, when he says this commandment of loving God with everything, your neighbors, yourself, it sums up the whole law. You can look at the Ten Commandments and there's uh, there's commandments that have to do with God on one side and man on the other, your neighbor. And anything that you do that loves beyond God and your neighbor. It's idolatry, it's sin. Why do we sin? Because we love ourselves more than our neighbor. Let's just be honest. It's a love issue. And God has said, those who will ever love rightly have experienced my love rightly and know the depth of the way I love you. And I'll never stop. And now I want you to take that love and drink so deeply of it that that love just oozes out of you. It just comes out of the pores of your life, that you're the aroma of Christ because you know how deeply and profoundly and beautifully you have been loved. And you can go and love in his name. We have our community groups, and we see our community groups, as Larry mentioned earlier, is really so much of the backbone for what we do to make disciples to advance Christ's kingdom. It's a place where we together learn to love God, and we learn together to love our neighbors. It's a place that we, we think that God shows up in an incredible way to grow us in grace and knowledge of Jesus. And so we want to take a, a moment, we want to pray uh, for our community group leaders because we feel like this ministry is so important. We've looked at the what, fill the earth with his glory. We've looked at the how, how, by it's us, the Great Commission, by making disciples. And we looked at the why, because of the love of Christ for us. Let me ask the community group leaders, uh, if you're here, to come forward. Um, and let me pray for you as we close our service. Come on, I see some of you. Don't be shy. Uh, and some of our staff, some of our elders, uh, some of our leaders in training. Thank you all for what you do. May the love of Christ compel you for what you do. What you do is incredibly significant and important. And I'm so grateful for your ministry. May God pour into you so you can pour into others. May we know the what, the how, and the why for God's glory. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you that you've made us for community. First and foremost for yourself to live with you, our triune God, a God who lives in community. But God, you've made us as a family. You continually call us your family, your bride. It's all about family and community to you, God. And we thank you that we have the privilege of of growing in the grace and knowledge of our Savior, Lord uh, Jesus Christ.
in our community groups. We thank you for the fact that this fall we're going to be together going through what does it mean to have a gospel-shaped worship. And God, what I know for sure is if you don't come and bless it and you're not a part of it, it's all for naught. But God, because we want to point to you in your word and because we realize you've created us for worship, would you bless our community groups? Would you please use these to grow us in grace and knowledge of Jesus? And God, may our motivation be because of the love of Christ and our love for Christ in all we do. God, would you strengthen these men and women? Would you fill their minds with the word of God? Would you fill their hearts with the love of God? Would you empower their hands? We thank you for those who will be opening up their homes We thank you for the hundreds of Orangewood family members that will be gathering. And God, would you grow your church to be more like Jesus because of it, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.